listening to the six sides of life, six brothers, six perspectives. We're talking about the things that are important to you in today's society. And today, folks, we're going to be talking about COVID-19, how it affect, how it has affected us, of course, as a country and as individuals in this world. So to get started, we're going to go ahead and introduce our panel today. First, we got John Exum. John Exum is 43 years old, married with one child, and works in technical industry. Say hi to the people, John. How's everybody doing? Next, we got Omar Exume. Omar is 34 years old. He is a pastor in the insurance vertical industry, and he's married with two children. Omar, salute the people. God bless you all. Next, we have Nathaniel, Nate Exume. Nathaniel is 37 years old. He's a lead supply expediter. He's also a high school basketball coach, mentor, and tutor. He is not married. He has no children. Nate, say hi to the people. Good evening, everyone. Next, we have Ozzy. Ozzy is 27 years old, the head basketball coach, also a football coach, married and expecting his first child later on this year. Ozzy, say what's up. What's up, people? I am today's host. My name is Robin Sigzume, 39 years old. I am married. We're expecting our first child uh, in about a month. I'm also, I work in the insurance industry. Lenny is not here with us tonight. I uh, had to attend to some family matters, so uh, Lenny's not here with us, but uh, he'll be joining us for the next episode of the podcast. As I said earlier, today we are talking about COVID-19, coronavirus. It's ravaged uh, not only the United States, but also the world. Um, as of this date, over 500,000 people have lost their lives uh, due to the COVID-19 outbreak. And to start out, we're going to start uh, with Nate. We're going to start out with our first question. Nate, uh, just talk about your feelings on how our government, okay, that is not just Donald Trump, but, you know, uh, mayors, governors, how our government has handled this COVID-19 uh, pandemic. Give us some of the thoughts on uh, how they handled it. I believe um, they haven't handled it well at all. Um, like you said earlier, 500,000 deaths. Um, that's a half a million people. That's a whole lot. Um, I believe that they, um, I think they may have opened some places too early. That was, um, in some cases, I know some places continue to have kind of an open um, had their state or cities open, um, and it started to spread faster than I guess they expected. Um, I believe that they needed to better understand, um, and, and mind you, I want to say that it's 500,000 in the world, not just the USA, in the whole entire world, um, overseas as well. Um, we, um, they, and like you said, I'm not putting it on the president because it's not, he does, I mean, he runs the world technically speaking. Um, but the governors and the mayors and all that, they're not doing enough. Um, they're just opening things up and saying, hey, stage one, you can go do this. Stage two, now, like in my state of Maryland, we can pretty much do everything. We're eating outside. We're eating inside. Um, um, the gyms are open. Um, not the basketball gyms, but more of the 
gyms where you do lift weights and stuff like that, they're open. Um, now they do have something that's um, every other machine is being used. And like for instance, I go to Planet Fitness, so every other machine is being used. You have to have, um, wear a mask um, when you're walking around, but you don't have to wear a mask when you're working out. You can work out without a mask. Um, those are, those are good precautions. But again, I think they need to shut. I'm not, I'm not saying shut the whole world down, but something has to give where if it's, if it's technically taking 14 days for you to get out of this coronavirus in your body, if you have it, then I'm not saying shut the whole world down 14 days, but you got to do something to where we just keep everything closed. Everybody stay home. Um, I work on, on the naval base here in Maryland. So they have, for the military personnel, they have cut their hours shorter to working four day, I'm sorry, four hours a day instead of the seven or eight. Um, some work every other day to minimize the people in the building. Um, but places like, I know California just shut down um, a lot of their cities um, this weekend because it spread so fast. Um, Florida, uh, South Carolina um, had a lot of um, um, positive results with, with, the, with the coronavirus. So um, I think, I mean, I'm not saying it's something that they could have, I mean, I think they should have a better plan for it when they, when it first happened. Um, they should have had a better plan set out for the country, and we wouldn't be in this crazy pandemic right now. So the point you made, which I think is probably one of the uh, the best points, is that we're in the situation right now because we opened too early. And the last model um, from the CDC and from a, a lot of leading health experts in the United States uh expect over 200,000 people to lose their lives due to the uh, coronavirus pandemic. I want to come to John real quick. John, why do you think, okay, with the numbers the way they are, why do you think we opened too early? What do you think was the motivating factor behind us opening, you know, basically too early, which is why you see all these states kind of having a uh, resurgence in coronavirus cases? I think a lot of that has to do with we didn't have all the information. Um, I feel that the medical industry, in a way, was hampered in being able to have, being able to provide the right information, and so we're in a situation where we don't have all the information. We some some states decided to open early, and weren't seeing the rapid pace of how this virus moved like other more populated more populated states for example new york city reason why new york city was hit so hard is because you got 12 million people living in one city 12 million plus whereas you go to a state like wyoming who is densely populated they might have like what 2 million people in the entire state <laughs> so their numbers were low because everyone is, um, so you know, so spread out. And I think a lot of, it, to me, it, it wasn't good information in the beginning. I feel like it was more of a educated guess because as you see, the longer the virus has been out, there's been different opinions. For example, initially it was, we didn't need masks. We didn't need gloves. Then it went to, we need gloves, we need masks. Now it's, uh, you can use, you know, 
you need to have masks. Some companies have decided and said, if people come into our come into our place of business, you need to have a mask on. And there's been issues with people following those guidelines. But I feel that the reason why we opened, how it's a little too early, is we didn't have all the right information, and people were just making educated guesses on whatever data was provided, and that's why we're in this sort of second wave. But to be fair, the second wave concept was announced early on that be careful for a second wave because China right now has gone through its sort of second wave um, of, of this virus. But like we know with viruses, viruses mutate. So, you know, it could be this now and over time as it mutates, it could be even stronger um for the holiday season. So what the medical industry needs to do is everyone get the right information and be able to combat this properly. Because right now you have, you have differencing of opinions from different sectors in the medical area, in the medical field saying, you know, this is the virus it is. Someone's saying, no, this is what the virus is. And okay. there's no consistent message as to Here's what we know about the virus, whether it's one, two, three, four, five strains of the okay. virus. Here's here's what we know about the virus. Here's what we know is effective. Here's what we know doesn't work. Here's what we know works. And, you know, right now I feel like we're in this situation where people are guessing. And people okay. in leadership have to, you know, make educated guesses because at the end of the day, it all comes down to money. Money needs okay. to flow in this country. In order right, so, for this uh, so, so with that, go ahead. Uh, I, I, uh, Omar, what are your thoughts based off maybe what John said or maybe some points that you have pertaining to why you think we opened uh, a bit too early? Yeah, you know, to, to be quite frank, I think um, I'm just going to add on to, to what has been said. And that is that uh, the, the COVID-19 became a political stunt. It became a political issue. Um, you know, we are in 2020, so it's the election year of a new president. Uh, there's going to be uh, 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 voting in of the Senate, Congress. All those things are happening this year. Right now, we just passed our local um, um, votes for the state of Georgia. So, so this is election year, and so you know uh, what you are seeing are people uh, or states are governing according to their political party and not necessarily on the real facts of the situation. So what we, what we hear that we're seeing is, is okay, they are withholding information. They're not reporting as many deaths. They're not reporting as many people who have contracted this virus. So you know what, let me open, reopen the state because that will make uh, our president or our party look good. And I think that once you turn a situation about life and death into a political issue, um, you're going to end up making a big mistake because you're not really caring about the people at large. True. You're caring about an election that's going to take place this year. Okay, so definitely just great points. Money, politics, uh, very big topics, of course, that affect 
you know, one, coronavirus coverage, and then also how we deal with this actual pandemic. Uh, as far as on a local level, okay, we talked about the federal government and how some of their failings and some of their maybe uh, motivations have not really been uh, helpful for the people or to the people's best advantage. Maybe more on a local level, Ozzy, what are your thoughts on like how maybe in your town, in your uh, you know, location, how the, the local government has handled the uh, COVID-19 outbreak? Well, first and foremost, I think, you know, at first I thought things were going well um, in terms of they had, they had everybody on quarantine and all that was happening. They shut down gyms, you know, inside of restaurants and all that. And then so when we gradually started to open back up, you, you just saw a crazy influx of people everywhere. And even though places were opening up with uh, restrictions, you know, like, so so even now there's also restaurants that still don't have the dining room open. It's just, just drive-through. So there still is plenty of restrictions out there. Um, but, you know, the gym I go to, I mean, there's pretty much no restrictions except for the cardio area. Um, you know, it's you have to have machine space in between. Everywhere else is fair game. Um, you do you are doing a lot of cleaning and stuff, but you know it's pretty much normal operations. Um, now I will say, locally, you know this is a little bit of a piggyback on what Omar was saying. You know they haven't really forced people to wear masks. It's not a thing to where they're saying everybody has to wear one. They're re they're recommending it, but it seems like you know, a certain party of people don't want masks at all. They think it's infringing on their rights. And then you have another party of people that are saying, for the greater good, let's wear masks. And so locally, I feel like they've played the middle ground. They're recommending it. It's not a mandate. Um, but things are still restricted, kind of, sort of. You know, you know, right now, every place is, is wide open. But the dining room of restaurants are still, depending on what type of restaurant it is, it might be closed inside. It might be a table space in between. Um, so I, I would personally say I think the government locally here in South Carolina has not done a bad job. But I think right now we're at a just the middle ground. You know, we have yet to take that step to say, let's all get back to a normal. But with the rising test, uh, you know, you know, this state ha is one of the fastest rising states in terms of tests. And, and where I live in Lexington um, is growing uh, pretty rapidly as well. So we're kind of at a standstill point of do we stay at the phase or point that we're at? Or do we scale back again and go into a little bit of a quarantine? So right now, I think there's a, there's just a gray area. Our governor has said that, that we should wear masks. Um, but for a lot of people, that's falling on deaf ears. So, I mean, there's a exactly. there's a constant battle mm -hmm. uh, going on with people about masks. And my whole mindset is, if it's for the greater good, and look, I'm not going to, you know, play the the perfect person. I go to, I went to Walmart this this afternoon. I didn't wear a mask. Um, what? But but when I go to work at the school, I wear a mask. It's a mandated rule. Now, 
So, so I'm not here to preach on a pedestal and say, oh, if you're wearing a mask, you're you're right. If you're not wearing wearing a mask, you're wrong. Because I technically I do both. At the same time, if they if they were to say for the greater good, let's all wear masks, I'd be fine. So, uh, based on what you see, what do you think is the kind of the mindset of the people? in your community just speaking from where you live in your community what do you think is the mindset of the people are they wearing to get things reopened is everybody afraid is everybody just like uh they have no idea what's going on what what's the temperature like uh in, in south carolina from, from your standpoint well I, well i think um i think everybody's ready to move on a lot of people i'm telling you a lot of people are saying this is just the flu and so and look, that that is an opinion that you have every right to have. Um, but I would just say this is the reason why I can't say it's just like the flu, because it's not. Because because people are dying worldwide, and people die worldwide from the flu. But this kind of just jumped on us, and we're still we're still right now in scramble mode, trying to figure out what to do. And we're what four months in. Um, in this state. Um, so I know, you know, there's, there's people that want to get things back to a normal, there's businesses that have already, you know, went down. Um, there's people that have lost jobs. Um, there's people that, you know, are at home, they're stuck at home and they're going nuts and they're ready to interact with, with people. But I think now that our state is one of the fastest rising states in terms of, positive test, you know, what's crazy, you know, this state is known for Myrtle Beach, for Folly Beach, and the Isle of Palms Beach in Charleston. Guys, so when I tell you those beaches have been full of people these past few weeks, I'm talking about you would think that they're in a virus at all. And a lot of people are coming back mm-hmm. home with with positive tests. And I think that has to do with the, the huge jump in positive tests is that people are thinking it's, you know, last year, last summer. I mean, there's there's bars down there near those beaches that are full of people. Mm-hmm. And so I think, again, I think there's a lot of people who believe this is a hoax. This is just um, the flu, just a different strain. It is we, we, gotta, we have to learn to live with it, which I do you know, agree with, uh, you know, to, to an extent that we do have to learn how to live with this. But there's, but there's people out here saying there should be nothing restricting us. Let's just go back to normal. And I think that mindset has caused a huge growth in positive tests in our state. Rob, Rob, I want to interject something real quick. Uh, uh, right. uh, go ahead, John. A fun, a fun stat. So to, uh, a point that Ozzy just made there was a lot of people thinking that this is the flu. All right, let's let's take let's take a look at what this disease has done in four months. This virus has done in four months. Annually in the United States, between twelve thousand and sixty-one thousand people die from the flu every year since twenty ten. Between twelve thousand and sixty-one thousand, right? That that that's in the U.S. or worldwide? That's in the U.S. Worldwide, okay. it's about it's a it's, it's between five hundred to six hundred thousand deaths wow. okay. of the flu yearly. Okay. In four months, a hundred and fifty thousand Americans have lost their lives. Okay, so can I so can I interject really quick? And I think this yeah. also has to do with what Omar 
brought up earlier about the politics in this, and you brought up that stat of over 150,000 deaths. Can we, for a fact, and I was playing, I'm playing the devil's advocate here, can we, for a fact, attribute all 150 to the virus, or has some of these numbers been skewed for, for a political war? That could be the case, because a lot of the deaths, the what's required for the deaths to be classified as COVID is that COVID has to be a symptom. For example, my best friend who lost his life, he did contract COVID, but he also contracted pneumonia, and COVID was a contributing factor to him getting pneumonia, which in a, in, in you know, to what happened caused his death. So even if we were to say that, let's just say 10% of those deaths are questionable, that's still 130,000 people, 35,000 people dead. So is it like the flu? It's like the flu. It's, it is like the flu, but it's like the flu times two. And Let's be honest here. We're looking at a data set of, if you want to count January, six months. So in six months, we've lost 130,000 people. Usually the for us in the U.S., for the flu, in order for the flu to kill 130,000 people, that's two years. <laughs> we've done, we're doing flu-like numbers in, in months, not, not in years. So I think that's the... That's a great point. Yeah. That's a great point. Differential factor. That's a great point. Uh, and I think a number of great points that were made pertaining to what is going on right now, people's mindsets. But let's talk about reopening for a second, okay? Um, Ozzy did make the, uh, the point about, you know, the beaches flooded with people. We're talking about restaurants. Some of them are allowing you to dine in. Some of them are not allowing you to dine in. Um, some of them are saying you can come in and there's no social distancing. But... There are a lot of institutions, and we're going to move over to the church for a second. A lot mm. of churches, okay, mm. have not, have not, have not, have not reopened. Now, I don't know, personally, I attend uh, Victory uh, World Church in uh, Georgia, and that church is, and our church is scheduled to reopen in a couple of weeks. So I want to pose a question to our resident pastor, Omar. Uh, one, as a pastor, what are your thoughts about the process by which a church, a faith-based, uh, you know, organization that, of course, has a different set of principles than our normal government, than our government. Okay, what are your thoughts on the process of reopening? And talk about maybe some of the things that you are considering as the time for reopening is approaching. Yeah, that sounds great. As you know what. For a church, is very tough, right? Uh, and, and I'll say this really to start off. I'm speaking from my perspective of, as a pastor at the church that I'm, I'm leading. This is not for all pastors. However, I will say that organizations that really care have a tough, tough job ahead um, because you care about the people. Uh, I was mentioning before that the COVID-19 has turned to a political stunt. Um, so the focus is not necessarily on the people, but when you transition to the church, uh, they are focused on the people. So, so there's a few things that the church has to keep in mind, has to keep focused on. Um, uh, you know, you have to focus on the area. 
the demographics, the, you know, the stats of your area? You know, is it increasing? Is it staying stagnant? Are the numbers of COVID-19 uh, um, patients staying stagnant? Is it decreasing? Those are important. Uh, something else to look at is the size of your church. You know, how big is your, is your church in terms of people? How many people would, you know, if the full amount came back, even though that's not more than likely going to happen, but if the full amount came back, what would that number look like? You know, or how would you be able to practice some of the regulations and recommendations that is provided by the CDC, like social distancing? How would you be able to enact all of those things? Secondly, uh, the size of your building. How big is your building? I mean, if your church is completely full, um, you could probably guess currently right now you're going to get about 20% of your members coming back, more than likely, 20%. That's where you want to start off at. Um, so, so those are some of the type of things that battles the church uh, on how the rethinking process or the thinking process of reopening the building is. In our church, personally, some of the things that we did is we deployed a task force um, and at that task force, uh, what we've done is we allowed the nurses to be a part of it. They understand the virus. They understand our building. Uh, we gave them, you know, some, some time to meet, discuss, and kind of provide us with some recommendations on, on what steps are best to be taken, um, to help, to help facilitate people coming in to be as safe as possible, but also, uh, to ensure that we can function as a church. Now, the church functions in two different places. It's a physical place, but it's also spiritual. And, mm -hmm. and one of the things that I would add to that is, you know, aside from all the recommended thoughts of the government and things of that sort, the mm -hmm. most essential uh, uh, piece for us is prayer. Okay. Uh, we we got to cover the building, cover the people in prayer. And, and you know, when I'm looking at, at um, COVID-19, one thing that we we look at that's essential uh, is that you can be asymptomatic. In other words, you don't have to have a fever. You don't have to cough. You don't have to sneeze. You don't point. have to show any symptoms whatsoever. And, and, and we're looking at different organizations, different government agencies. They're doing what's called a temperature check. You check the temperature, and if you're above like a 99.1 or 3, something like that, um, they automatically say you can't come in. But I can just be sick with a fever, right? But somebody can walk right in with no symptoms, and they're the one that's passing on the virus. So that lets me know that on a physical perspective, I cannot really restrain the virus from coming into the building. You cannot restrain it anywhere you go. Secondly, and that's why I said that prayer is essential because okay. prayer will allow, you know, by God's grace to, to keep this virus out. And also if somebody even comes with it by God's grace, it won't spread. Mm -hmm. right? There okay. are some churches that I'm aware that I've heard of that had to close down their doors because during the COVID-19, the pandemic hit, they were not prepared for a crisis. So there's a lot of churches that's not going to make it through this year. Because they, they were not prepared and they don't have any mechanisms to keep a hold of the people that they have. So their Scott, so their their um their members have scattered to different churches, have done different things, <laughs> and they, there's no there's uh, unfortunately no point for them to be in existence. And and it, it breaks my heart, but there are churches that are closing down.
there are churches also that have lost a lot of people that's still going to be functioning, but they <laughs> lost a lot of people. So there's a whole lot of things that come into the, the pandemic. Uh, it, it, it can hit your church in many different ways, especially if you were not prepared for a crisis like this. And, and this is not something you can just make up. You just got to be prepared for it. I get it. Gotcha. That's a very uh, good point. But let me uh, follow up with what are your thoughts on some churches which refuse until it was a government mandate? Some churches refuse to uh, close their doors because of the COVID-19 outbreak because their uh, principle or their reasoning behind not closing the doors was that it showed a lack of faith in God. What are your thoughts when a church, of course, it's a, a house of faith, a faith based organization, which of course faith is, is a central principle of a of any church. Um, what are your thoughts on churches that have simply said, if you believe in God, if you have faith in God, you should not close your doors? Well, what what, is, what are your thoughts on that? Great question. So so I, I'll share this. You know, I, and I, I will not talk bad about another ministry um, at all. Um, but those who are saying that it is a lack of faith to close your doors, hey. It's according to your faith. Now, I've seen some churches that have stated that it's a lack of faith if you close the doors and the pastor contracted uh, coronavirus and died. Uh, I've heard some where, you know, they, they kept their doors open and 180 uh, or, you know, a high number of people contracted the virus. So is it necessarily a lack of faith or is it understanding what the word of God says, which says that God gives us wisdom? And he says, do not tempt the Lord your God, which really helps us understand, even though you see danger coming your way, it's good to have faith, but wisdom will tell you, hey, I should not go that way. I should go a different route. Okay. And so in cases like that, us personally, we actually counted it as a big act of faith to trust God that the church will not close down, to trust God that God will continue to allow this church to function despite the loss of the building, right? Mm -hmm. Despite despite the uh, non-access of the building. And in fact, I was excited about this pandemic because it really challenged our church to really be a church and not uh, with, without the four walls. That to me is the, the full principle about church. If you look throughout scripture, yes, there are temples being built. Yes, so there are things happening. But most of ministry happens outside of the four walls. That is true. And that's really essential for churches today because we churches in general have been focused within the four walls. What can we do within our building? And I think that God wants to use this for our churches to understand. I want you to be the church. You are the church, not the building. I want you to be the church without the four walls. Can you still trust me? Can you still lean on me? Can you still believe in me if you don't go to a particular place every week? And Amen. I think, I think it was a big challenge for us as a church and many other churches as the church without the four walls. And I, I think that, that that to me is a bigger act of faith okay. uh, than staying open. All right. And lastly, about the church, you did mention, of course, that the church is bigger than the four walls and encompass the building. How has your church uh, tried to go ahead and keep that family aspect, reach out to uh, the family members of your church during this time when you guys can't physically meet? Yeah, so uh, um, well, one of the things that we've done is, is, is we still have our groups. 
we have conference lines available. Uh, we, we utilize a lot of Zoom conferencing, so I can see you at least. Um, I can go ahead and have a conversation with you. Uh, it's a lot of those phone calls that are happening. Uh, there's been a couple of the ministries that would do a drive-by and, and check on their members. Um, you know, it's really just keeping that dialogue going and understanding that just because we can't be in the, in the building, we can still function. How can we help somebody else, you know, if, with their needs, with their issues that they may be facing? Our church is functioning just the way it was when we had the four walls. We just change where we do it at, but we function in the same way. Um, and so some of the ministries get to meet a little bit, like the worship team, they, uh, we do our services online. <clears throat> We're able to interact there, so we, we meet, we have our worship rehearsal, our recordings. Um, the pastors meet all the time. We have conversations throughout the week, but we also engage in, uh, on, on Sundays when we're giving the word. All of those things are happening. Uh, the church is still functioning. It's just without the access of the building. Okay, that's great. That's a yeah. really good way to kind of keep together and uh, mm -hmm. keep that uh, team uh, aspect of the uh, church. Yeah. Uh, Nate, Nate, did you want to say something? Yeah, with our church here, um, we, they actually open the church, um, technically speaking. They open it only to adults. So like, like this morning service, they had a, the choir was there. They had the congregation was there. I mean, they didn't show the picture, but I heard them. They were in there. Um, like I'm, I'm in new members class at my church. So um, we did a new members class via the go-to meeting app so we can see each other's faces and we can interact and talk about whatever we're talking about when it comes to the class. Um, and we do, uh, we do the, the, the um, church um, during our Facebook Live and all that, but we do the go-to meeting um, to interact with everybody um, during the course of this pandemic. But the church is not allowing kids yet. I don't know when they are, but I believe they said within the next two, three weeks, they're going to open the church up because we did um, get to the point in our stage three that we're able, like the malls opened up this um, last week, Friday. The malls opened up, the arcades, Six Flags opened up. Um, pretty much for us here in Maryland, everything opened up. It just, um, for that, like for instance, the, like I said earlier, the gyms um, on a planet finish is normally 24 hours every day. Um, for this pandemic, it's 24 hours Monday through Friday and Saturday and Sunday and 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. And the restaurants, they do, like the whole place kind of shuts like Walmart is 24 hours here. But during this time, it's um, 8.30. So pretty much the city closes down at 8.30. Okay. Um, okay. If you will, um, some restaurants stay open. A little later on the weekend, maybe you know, like pizzerias are open later than eight thirty. But for the most part, the Olive Gardens, the Outbacks, all the restaurants, supermarkets are closed at eight thirty. Okay. You know, um, the spreading of the virus. Um, I got you. Supermarkets have the arrows, so when you go in a in a, in a um, aisle, you have to go in one way. Okay. So 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 not two way travel. So it's not like one way. And and one way out mm -hmm. on the opposite um, aisle. So, okay. No. So so uh, that's a good point, Nate. I, I want to add one more thing about my spill about the church. And, and again, I'm not focused on if you have faith or if you don't have faith. I think what's really essential about the church is what is God telling you to do. Um, because you know He might tell some some of the churches to stay open. It's, pos it, it's possible. 
But I think for us, it's what is God telling us specifically to do? Because at the end of the day, the church is his people. And, and he's going to be the one directing his people. And so I think that's the course of action that we took. Uh, we wanted to make sure that we were in agreement uh, with what God is telling us to do. Pray about it and, you know, uh, uh, inquire of him and let him lead us in that process. Now, I mean, we are in the process now of reopening, um, but it's not in the month of July. You know, but we are in the part of communicating with the people. Hey, this is what we're looking at. And here's a target date. Here's where here's what we're going to try to do to get us opened. Uh, we're, we're, we're in that phase right now um, because a lot of the research was done. But now it's really making sure that we can communicate with everybody about how to reopen uh, the facility. I got you. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a uh, you know, good uh, kind of dialogue on churches. Nate made some good points about uh, the restaurants, the gyms, a lot of them closing a lot earlier course to probably sanitize those facilities to make sure that there's no outbreaks in those areas of the uh, country but all, but of course one of the big institutions that has been affected uh, by the COVID-19 outbreak are the schools okay teachers have had to you know really get deep into online learning parents have now had to become teachers so I want to talk to an actual teacher uh, Ozzy you're a teacher in South Carolina you're also a football coach and uh, the new head basketball coach at a high school. So talk about some of the processes that uh, you have been uh, asked to partake in as both a coach and a teacher uh, during this time. Well, it's been absolutely crazy, um, to be honest. Uh, so as, as a teacher, we went into to online learning um, in March, uh, this, uh, March of this year, and it carried us throughout the uh, school year. And it was kind of crazy because there was no precursor. There wasn't. There wasn't much warning. It was. It happened on a Wednesday. You know, we were supposed to have a planned break. After that, a Wednesday, a two-day break, and we ended up not coming back after that break. And so we didn't have a you know necessary time to really plan ahead to things that we, that we wanted to do. I'm pretty sure every teacher had done their work that year in hopes of doing it you know, in person at a certain pace. And so at the end of the, the uh, school year was really a blur. It's just a lot of work, a lot of kids, you know, maybe not being um, taught, you know, the way that they needed to be to be su- successful. You had a bunch of colleges that, that canceled testing, the entry testing to get there. Um, a lot of end of the year of testing was was canceled. So now that we, that we go on to next year, um, there's a whole, you know, we're planning for online schooling. Now, our district um, has proposed a two-part plan um, that parents can choose. So if you're a K-5 student, then you would go to school every day, but you would um, be pretty much confined to your classroom for the school day um, to limit the, the amount of things that you touch. Um, and then from middle school to high school, uh, parents have a choice of two ways. Uh, your child can go to school two days out of five days and have three days online or your child can go completely online. Now, my thought process, I feel like a bunch of maybe senior parents will do the five days online because kids can go to school in the morning and work in the afternoons and, you know, kind of, you know, do that thing. But where it puts some pressure on is is athletics. And so as a coach, 
I see it from both ways. You know, as a coach, we were um, allowed to start on June the fifteenth, uh, and so, uh, but we were, but we are broken down into phases. So phase one, no sport can use a ball. Um, fall sports came on June the fifteenth. Uh, the winter sports came on June the twenty second, and spring sports came on the 29th um so what 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 happened is you're pretty much just doing a workout can't can't touch anything kids um are given temperature checks and screening checks um you know at, you know just as they get there and um you're six feet apart to 12 12 feet apart it's really it's hard you can only have nine kids in a group per uh facility so a basketball court can only house 10 people one coach and nine players. A football field uh, can only house ten people, okay. nine kids and a coach. So okay. you literally have a school that you're trying to maximize every ounce of that school. So, for example, our our program serves about from twelfth to ninth grade about seventy to eighty kids per day. Well, we have to do that in two ways. So, we, so we come in at seven thirty. First group of kids come from eight to about ten and six. And next group is the next hour and a half after that. And so you're trying to maximize your space. It's hard. Um, so, you know, from the from the education standpoint, my prediction is, you know, this will be our norm for next year. I don't know how or if uh, we will be allowed to go back to school as normal in person five days a week. Um, so the, the proposition that our district gave is pretty much what's going to happen where, where kids for this year are going to be taught online and they have a option, um, of going to school for two days to have two days of in-person learning. And we also have, have to understand, and as an educator, this is not fair to, to, to every kid. You know, there are kids out there that are going to struggle okay. online. They're, they're, they're going to struggle. They're going to not, not be able, you know, and a teacher, if you're teaching online and you're probably going to be teaching a bigger class load, um, you're going to have to, to understand that you, you're going to be working at a pace that's so fast. And you're going to, you know, try to get kids to do, to do a lot of things on their own. And we have to understand, is this best practice for every kid? No. But it's the reality of what, you know, the – the day is so we have to really 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 um be masters of our craft at teaching to really try to reach every kid in our class if if that means the two days in the school you're really intensive and you're you know kind of like a tutorish catch your kids up of what they didn't get online and then online those kids those parents that are choosing and the pressure on them too as parents if you're a parent, you choose for your kid to have five days online. You have to be accountable as well as your child to make sure that your kid is doing their work and making sure that your kid is doing, you know, the tests um, and the assignments. Because if you say my child can go to school for five days a week online and your child's grades start to fail because your child wants to play a video game instead of doing other work, then you really have to be not not necessarily the educator, but the enforcer of the education in your household. I got you. So as a teacher, 
of course, you know, you guys have to kind of roll with the punches. Things are always changing uh, every day, every week. And, you know, it seems like with the uh, COVID-19 uh, pandemic. So what are some pitfalls that you kind of see or maybe some pitfalls that maybe some fellow, uh, you know, teachers have brought up that you think can be issues when this plan is implemented? Because, of course, there's a lot of moving parts in the plan like that where you have kids going to school some days, being at home the other days, or having the option to stay home. What are some of the pitfalls that you can kind of foresee, some of the problems that maybe some of the teachers have been talking about pertaining to implementing this kind of plan? Well, the, well, the, for, so for one thing that comes into mind is the, um, the, and for every teacher probably across the whole nation, um, compensation is going to be huge, a huge issue. Um, mainly, because you're allowing kids to be taught online and in person, as a teacher, you're now a two-part teacher. You're an online teacher and an in-person teacher, mm-hmm. which means it's almost an increase of workload. You know, if you think about it, if I'm doing, you know, te- you know, technically um, how the district has broken it up, it's four days of in-person teaching. It's Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. But, but it's also five days of online teaching. So now you've kind of increased the workload to nine days of work. Yeah. And so um, it really, for some teachers, they're going to feel, if they didn't feel overworked already, they're going to really feel overworked. Um, because the time that you would probably think, oh, I'm going home after school to debrief, to calm down. No, I have to check on my online students to make sure that they got stuff to do and their stuff is being done and they're turning stuff in. So now it's really a lot more work. Um, the second pitfall um, that you that teachers are going to run into is accountability. Um, you're going to have a hard time because when a kid is online, your only means of communication is calling them or sending them emails. So if you, if a kid pretty much has really struggled online, is not turning in work, is not being online in time, is not doing stuff like that, um, it's going to be hard because you run into an issue. Let's say I'm a student who doesn't like to learn online, but because of situations outside of my control, um, I have to be a five-day online student. Let's say I struggle. I cannot do the things. I'm not learning things properly. I'm failing. I'm struggling to turn stuff in. I'm struggling to have a Wi-Fi to to be to be online. It's a flat-out struggle. Can we sit there and really fail fail this child for for problems outside of that child's control? So then, so then, so then you're passing kids not be, not based on merit. Or work they've done, but you're but you're passing kids based on what the circumstances allowed it. So now, if that kid's a senior, because that you, you have to think about it twofold. The end of a junior year's from this past year, junior's you know school year was online, where it was hard to enforce this stuff, and then their senior year could look the, the same way. If you talk about not being not being a prepared for college or that next step, that's the, that's the definition. Yeah. So we're gonna really see the pros and cons of the of the decisions that states and schools make on how they go about teaching next year. We'll see the pros and cons 
in about five years when those folks are people in the workforce or they're graduating college stuff like that. Okay. Uh, so there's two sides, you know, about the, the, the school aspect of it. I want to first go to John and also want to go to Omar and Nate on this. First with John about being an actual homeschooling parent. Same question for Omar as well when it comes to homeschooling, being a homeschooling parent. And then Nate, of course, you're a mentor with a lot of uh, these young kids at uh, Great Mills High School. So, but first, John, talk about the experience, some of the challenges that comes kind of comes with being a homeschooling parent when at no point did you expect to become a teacher in the middle of the school year. And that is absolutely correct, Rob. You, you kind of hit it on the nail there. Like in, in March, you know, as a parent, you send your child off to school. You're expecting the teacher is doing their job. And, you know, you do your spot checks when the child is at home to make sure that they're retaining what they're learning. And then in March, that all changed. So you have parents who are working, who have a day job. And... This really affects parents who have kids in, I would say, kindergarten to about fifth or sixth grade because they need a level of attention on the work that they're doing. And so you have parents who are working who now have to take time out of work to help their children with their work. For me, I can say the first week or two was very difficult for me as a parent. Because I have a child that requires my attention. And we know when kids are young, you know, they tend to lose interest in what they're doing. So we had to work on creating a system that worked best for my child, as well as for me, who has, who has to work and get things done. Um, after, the, I would say, the first week or two, we got a system that was working and it was actually an enjoyable experience um, for my child and myself. Um, the, the concern that I have, because in, in Cobb County, similar to what Ozzy was saying, they gave, we have from July 2nd to July 10th to make a decision if we want our child to have um, online school or come to school. I, and I think it's very similar on, on a four day, four day basis. There's a lot of details that they're providing, but as parents, we have to pick an option and we need to submit our option between July 2nd and July 10th. My concern with this concept is we're putting parents in a position that they're not ready for. Like, you know, the school district is not doing like, you know, let's do a training day for parents on how to homeschool their kids at home. Schools are not doing that. So now we have, and then also we have to be honest, like just because, just because we live in a, in a society that we sometimes presume there's internet, there are a lot of people who don't have adequate internet. And so, and so now you're going to, you know, let's just say, hypothetically speaking, this is a parent who, you know, decides that they're going to do the, 
homeschooling. Basically, a child is at home and, and takes classes online. Who's to, say, who, who's to say that they have the equipment at home in order to do that? Like, can we definitively say that every parent in a county has a computer or has an iPad for their kids okay. to do work? That, that we don't know. Okay. Um, and so, okay. and so I feel like with this whole method, there are underlying things that the, that the states are not doing and saying, okay, let's make sure parents have the adequate tools they need if they do decide to do online schooling, that, that they can do it effectively. Um, you. you know, we don't have that information. And so I feel like this upcoming year, it's going to be a struggle. Um, kids who were falling behind, I feel, are going to fall further behind. Mm-hmm. And I also feel that kids who were, you know, who who were motivated will continue to be motivated. But some of that gas is going to be, you know, pulled away because they're not in the atmosphere that's going to push them to be to be the best that they can be. Like, you know, when I look at my daughter, you know, she's very, she's very intelligent and I can, and I can tell she's very intelligent, but what pushes her is when there are other intelligent kids in the room and she, in a way, sort of feels a level of competition to push herself to do more. And, you know, we're in a position of whether we're going to keep her at home or send her on to school um, to, you know, continue. So parents, parents this year are going to have a, a tough decision. And I know different states are doing, are doing different things when it comes to what next school year looks like. Um, so mm-hmm. it's, it's going to be very interesting to see. But, for, but to wrap up what I'm saying is my concern is for the parents who are dealing with children who were already falling behind to now enter a school year where or enter an atmosphere where your child may fall even further behind mm-hmm. because they don't have all the adequate tools and things they need in order to succeed. That's um, good. Good points. Uh, Omar, your children are not yet school age. You're not in school yet. But of course, because of the COVID-19 outbreak uh, pandemic, you've had to transition from kind of working in the office and at home to solely working from home. How's been your experience, you know, of course, with, you know, being a pastor and of course working a nine to five, how's it been, okay, with two kids at home, having to work from home and really trying to <laughs> remain sane during, during all this? Um, quite interesting, to say the least. Um, one thing that, that we, we decided to do was we wanted to teach our kids early anyway. Um, so me and my wife made a decision to at least allow the smartest one of me and her to uh, tackle the teaching aspect for the kids. So therefore, she's the one teaching. And um, Makes sense. My, <laughs> my job basically is to prepare a room. So we actually changed out our dining room and made it a kid's center. Uh, in our home and set it up for a school. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of things. My wife was already in the school system, so she understood how to 
uh, how a lot of these subjects are, how to teach them. So for us, we, we have benefited from that aspect. Now, and everybody's in that position. The city that I'm in, I met with the principal of a middle school and, and just to discuss, you know, hey, what are some of the issues that, that uh, you are battling with the kids? And, and the, the number one issue that they came up and told me was parenting. They said the parents are not involved in the children's school life. So now you put the kids in the position you know, first of all, the, the parents were not in, in the process of helping the kids while the kids were in school. Now, the kids are 100% at home trying to rely on the parent who was not yet or at all involved with those kids. In other words, the kids are really going to learn off of the aspect of how good their parents are in terms of education. Okay. Uh, rather than just the teachers. Because the teachers are, are going to, I think, as you pointed out, uh, it, it's basically a nine work day, nine days work day per week. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous because of online and, and the first. So, so how the success of your child is now deemed at your hand as a parent. And it's, yeah. mm -hmm. the, the second thing the school told me was financially, kids were over billed or, or they didn't have enough funds for lunch. So you, you bring those two dynamics in our area that I live currently and you have a disaster for them. You know, mm -hmm. th there are buses going through to try to give some of these kids lunch during the school year. Uh, um, but if they cannot pay for uh, lunch, which is a necessity that I'm going to, I'm going to echo what John shared earlier. How do we know that they're going to have the equipment set up to handle that? Imagine if a teacher wants to to uh, keep the kids accountable during the test, right? So they'll say, "Hey, you cannot click off this page. If you click off this page, it will deem it will be deemed as a felony, right? Because there is some mechanism, some technology that will allow you to stay on that page. And if you're off, the teacher can be notified. But what happens, okay. if, what happens if the internet goes out? And unfortunately, I'm off that page. I get a failure not because of, of my education or my knowledge, I failed because of the technology that I have that I can't afford any better at the moment. So it really puts the parents in a very interesting uh, 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 place. But this is what I will say. Those who are rich will have the mechanisms in place to help, our, help their kids. Those who are poor and struggling will be in dire need for help. And that's that's the reality of life. The rich are going to continue getting rich, mm -hmm. and the poor is going to suffer during this phase. Wow. And to piggyback in it, and to interject, um, uh -huh. right. to, to really echo that point, um, is when districts and schools are making these choices, what they really have to be serious about and, con and conscientious about is the fact of the matter that you're trying to, and as parents, you know, John, John and Omar, y'all are talking from your, you know, your thought process of what it is, but from the educational standpoint, you're trying to and Rob, you taught for, for a couple of years. It's about yep. best practice. So how can you reach the most amount of kids? I think, I think that every district should have an option of 
of kids being being able to at least spend part of the week inside the classroom or parents can choose to keep them outside of the classroom for their own thoughts and beliefs. But Rob can tell you when you're when you're either teaching a class, just a class of 25 kids, there's no way for you to reach every single one of those kids with the way that, that you teach. You hope so. You dream. That's what you want. But kids learn a different way. So you might be able to get 20 kids to learn the way that you're teaching, but then you're fighting an uphill battle trying to teach the 21st or 25th kid a separate way. And you try, you log more hours, you give the, the class, you know, an assignment that best fits them and try to work outside of that assignment, but it's hard. So even when you're talking about starting a school year and starting school with, I know a Gwinnett County in Georgia has over 150,000 students that, that they serve. What's best for the grand scheme of the 150,000 kids, the multiple thousands of, of employees that, that you have, it won't be perfect. There's going to be a parent that's going to be pissed. There's, there's, there's going to be a parent that's going to be the happiest parent, parent on earth. But what is the best practice to reach and give as many kids as you can in your district the best chance to be successful? That's a good point. Good point. Now, we've been talking about school. We've been talking about working from home. But another aspect is the kind of the mentoring aspect. Because as teachers, you do a lot of different things. You're a mentor. You're a parent. You're a counselor. But I want to come to Nate because, of course, Nate, you do uh, some mentoring, some coaching uh, with some of the kids at your high school in Maryland, Great Mills uh, High School. Uh, Talk about some of the difficulties that you kind of come across at this time when it comes to kind of reaching out and mentoring the kids that you normally mentor, you normally have a, you know, kind of good point of contact with now that school, you know, is out and it's kind of probably going to be following like a, a regimented or a different kind of schedule. Talk about that a little bit. Um, with that, um, I, I, I reach out to my kids uh, on a regular basis. I'll message them, hey, do you need anything? Is your family good? Um, and all that. And, I, and they'll, they'll sit there and break down a small summary of what's going on in their life. They um, I give them workouts to do for them to stay in shape. Um, during this, during this um, time, we did get the okay to start training the kids. Um, but um, we as coaches haven't decided when we're going to started we got um i think they gave us a uh six kids at a time but we have a whole basketball court so we can separate the kids um or have certain kids um um, work out certain days of the week and um and then we can alternate like hey we get this like, like, like 20 kids on monday and then tuesday we get a new set of kids um I think we, I think we lost Nate. Nate's audio is dead, so uh, we lost Nate. But we started talking about, uh, of course, kind of getting with the uh, kids and trying to just reach out to them, you know, on cell phones or maybe through social, you know, social media to try to connect with his, uh, you know, kid that he mentors. Um, let's uh, talk. Briefly, okay. I just want to hit this point briefly. We'll probably see if we can get Nate back. But 
John, I want to come to you on the, on this point. Okay. okay. According to the CDC, okay, this is as, as of June 12th of 2020, uh, and I just want to get your thoughts on this. And, guys, I want you also to chime in on your thoughts on this. Now, of course, Nick teaches at uh, Great Mills, and Great Mills, to my understanding, of course, is uh, it's a mix in terms of, you know, white and uh, black kids. I taught at a predominantly black uh, high school, and, of course, we've seen one of the things that we've noticed and it's kind of impossible not to see that COVID-19 has affected um, our community, African-American community, uh, disproportionately compared to other uh, communities. According to the CDC, okay, says non-Hispanic black persons have a rate approximately five times that of non-Hispanic white persons, okay? So basically, we have a, you know, we get it, I guess we're five times more likely to pick up COVID-19 than uh, white folks. John, Talk to me about what that, you know, statistic means and your thoughts on why you believe that is the case. Um, what it shows, you know, thank you, Rob, for that question. Um, what it shows us is we're not healthy. <laughs> Point blank, we're not healthy. Um, when I look at um, our neighbor, you know, black neighborhoods and look at the options for food, um, we have... Gas stations, which in Georgia serve us our corner stores. We have a couple supermarkets. Um, but when you go into um, a black a, a black community supermarket, you always notice when you walk in, all the junk food is positioned in the front the minute you walk in. Yep. You walk in, you pass candy bars and bags of chips before you get to the vegetables. That's not the case when you walk into um, a supermarket in a predominantly white area. Um, you don't you don't see that problem, and so I think the reason why it's affecting us at such a higher rate is our eating habits. We're not healthy. Um, when you look at access to gyms um, in white neighborhoods, there are tons of gyms. You'll have Planet Fitness, LA Fitness. Crunch Fitness, um, you name it, they got it. They got, you know, um, hit hit training gyms. Um, you have, like, CrossFit gyms in white neighborhoods. You go to black neighborhoods, you know, they may have um, LA Fitness. Like, for case in point, College Park. College Park, um, I, I used to live there. Um, LA Fitness. LA Fitness was the gym that we had. You know, there, there may have been one or two other gyms. But LA Fitness was the one we had. Fast forward to where I live now in Potter Springs, Hiram area. There's Planet Fitness. There's Crunch Fitness. There's mixed martial art um, places. There's CrossFit. There's like a couple of CrossFit gyms. So there are plenty of options to be healthy. And I think the reason why we're seeing this virus attack the black community more is because we're not healthy and it's going to take us to make better choices with our health because you know let's be you know let's be frank um black folks tend to have diabetes <laughs> let's be let's let's be honest like you know everybody, there's everybody in the community knows somebody in their family right. has diabetes yeah like 
You can't tell me a black family that there's not one person in there that either has diabetes or high blood pressure. Mm-hmm. Okay? And so when you have those two things that are, you know, affecting, a, 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 you know, a particular race at, a, at such a high rate, coupled with a virus that when you look at what the virus does, it deteriorates your immune system. All right. So our immune system is already compromised already because we have diabetes and high blood pressure. And now you throw this virus in there. Um, that's, you know, all those things happening is culmination of why blacks are dying at a higher rate. And, you know, I hope that if we learn anything as a community, we got to we got to we got to be better with our health. We have to. Yeah. Got to eat better, we got to be better with our health. Yeah. And that's all I, I want to definitely, say. On that. Definitely uh, can agree with that. I think I think we got Nate back. Nate, are you back? Yes, I'm back. Um, I had some technical difficulties. My apologies. Technical okay. difficulties. <laughs> go ahead, man. Go ahead. His boost mobile. Saying, yeah, the boost mobile went down. <laughs> what I was saying was that a lot of these kids don't have internet um, at their homes as it is. So when you're having um, when you're having homeschool on these kids, it's going to be difficult. I think I heard today that 24 or 26 states already canceled on their sports for the year. As a coach, I hope it's not Maryland because um, I'll be devastated. Um, we do. Um, we did get permission to practice. I don't know if you heard heard this before. I got disconnected, but we were able to get permission to practice. We can actually train the kids now. Um, we can only one coach per um, six kids per coach, so we can probably do. Um, that us coaches haven't discussed it yet. Um, only me and the other coach have, but we um, like actually we are setting up our schedule for our basketball season right now. We have one slot open to fill before we even start the season that we're trying to finalize. But um, we're um, it's difficult because we're like, we're, we're not the, like I said earlier, I don't know if you heard it earlier as well, we're kind of like the country here in Lexington Park, Maryland, but it's kind of hoodish-ish, so they compare themselves to, because they try to compete with um, D.C. and Baltimore um, with the crime and stuff like that. So um, a lot of these families on the household, they're single-family homes, maybe, maybe just a mother, a father, and a bunch of kids, or even a brother or cousin take care of the kids. So we're kind of father figures to these children. Okay. And so with that being said, I I, I and other coaches as well, we make it our duty to reach out to them. And a lot of the kids, half of them, I mean, not half of them, but a lot of them don't even have a regular cell phone. They got Snapchat. Okay. And use Wi-Fi to get on Snapchat. So you got to be, so I'm, I'm following pretty much all my kids that I, I coach or mentor or whatever. So I hear most like, hey, is your family good? Are you good? Do you need anything? And if so, uh, then, hey, I need my mom, whatever, lost a job, whatever the case may be. We as coaches, we're going to pitch in or do a random something just to have, just to raise money for that um, family. Um, I got you. And, so, we do, and we do a lot of things on the fly that we have. Like uh, one of our kids years ago, his house burned down. And his house burned down. We were like, wait a minute. We got to take care of our family. So we... In a couple of days, set up a whole basketball tournament and be raised a bunch of money to help them um, with what they're going through. Um, so I check with my kids. We give them workouts to do um, via Snap. We we'll say, "Hey, today's 
do that you gotta do like find the push up and you gotta post it on Snap. You gotta see all of them. So you you don't gotta do them all at once, but you can do a fifty at a time and post it, whatever the case may be. And we try to make sure they're staying safe because once we get back to the grind, it's back to the grind where we're gonna push you. I'm, I'm telling them stop eating bad. They love Popeye chicken, um, McDonald's, mm-hmm. all that stuff. I'm I'm trying to get them out of that system now. Okay. And also, um, we're just trying to keep them like I'm also like I said, I'm a mentor and I tutor, so I'm you know try to give them throw throw them some word problems, some something for them to solve. To keep their minds fresh as possible. This is, this is, this is okay. a difficult time for them. I mean, it, I think it's more difficult for them than for us adults. As adults, we, like for us, us brothers, we've been through, I mean, we weren't born rich. We weren't born, I mean, we weren't the richest people in the world. We, we struggle at times. So we understand, like, they haven't struggled. They got, their cell phones cost more than, I don't know what. I mean, they got $800 cell phones walking around. With 255 a pair of sneakers, they got all the Jordans and all this stuff. I we only got forty dollars pair of sneakers. And, and, yeah. And, and actually, it was thirty nine ninety nine. It couldn't be forty dollars. So, um, <laughs> and we had the same sneakers for the whole year, by them having different sneakers for each day of the school year. So I got you. So important. So let me talk, uh, Nate. So the breakdown, the uh, demographic breakdown of the kids at Great Mills is that is it mostly black? Yes. Well, mostly. Okay, so um, when you were cut off, I read a stat from the CDC, and I just want to get your thoughts on the stat and also what your and also kind of what you think the statistic says to you. According to the statistic, it says non-Hispanic Black persons have a rate approximately five times that of non-Hispanic White persons. So basically, the stat says that. Black people get COVID-19 at a rate five times that of white people. Why do you think that is the case? And what are your thoughts, um, you know, about that statistic? Well, from when the coronavirus started, the rumor came out that blacks can get coronavirus. So with that being said, there was a lot of gatherings, barbecues, uh, birthday party, whatever party that they're throwing that had a bunch of blacks and like, we can't get the coronavirus, so we good. So we can go and do the same thing we're doing prior. Um, and as you can see with the Ezekiel Elliott obtaining it, um, as a rumor of him going to parties, because um, they feel like we're millionaires, we can, I'm pretty sure, because I think their mindset is, if they're millionaires or they're famous, they go to a party, no one's going to have it. Because they just assume they're part of it and no one's going to have it. So they party a lot. Um, a lot of them work out a lot together and don't know who got what from who. So um, they obtained this coronavirus. Um, still to this day, you still see people, funerals, um, having weddings, they're recording. I mean, hundreds of people are there. Like, I'm not understanding. Like, I mean, and, and, I, and, I'm, and in the beginning of it, I felt like I wouldn't get it because... I'm always cautious. I'm always washing my hands. I'm always doing something. But I'm like, anybody can get it anytime. Somebody can just shake your hand or whatever, and you can um, get this this disease. Um, I think it's just that we feel like, as blacks, we feel like we're above the disease, and we can still continue to party, still continue to hang out with our friends on a regular basis, still continue to do things 
Um, and but like it doesn't affect us, at, but it does. And the numbers don't lie. Number shows mm-hmm. at, a, at a high rate, and we need to chill out. And I believe it's going to be gone. I mean, I'm hoping, and I, and I really believe that's going to be gone within the end of next month, beginning of August. It's going to all go away. Okay. All right. That's, very, that, that's a very inter- interesting take. Uh, go ahead. I think um, that it's going to go away. And I think that world is going to open up ish uh, towards uh, the middle of fall, and we're going to get back to, and we'll get back to normal. And then, like, like, like that guy author, whatever he said, that guy that's, that predicted they'll come in twenty twenty. He says it's going to come back in five, ten years from now and be worse. I think by that time, though, if it does come back, I think we would be more prepared for it um, now. I mean, than this time. But this time, I mean, they still have a plan um, to this day. And it's been, what, the six, seven month now? And we still don't got a plan? Mm-hmm. I mean, it came out here like the end of August. I mean, I'm sorry, the end of January. And we still are lost. We still don't have a vaccine. Or they might have a vaccine, then they're trying to give it to us. I got you. Okay. Um, okay. But um, one way or the other, we got to figure this out. Yeah, yeah, I, think, I definitely agree uh, with that. Now, uh, we got about a couple minutes left. Guys, uh, closing statements. Um, real quick, about 30-second statement. Any any statements, guys, before we uh, close out for, for the night? Um, I want to say, you know, for everybody that's out there that's listening, um, be safe, be careful, uh, use proper judgment, because um, I'm telling you, man, 2020 has been a a a, a crazy year. So, so my my closing argument to everyone is: be cautious and be safe out there. Thanks, John. Appreciate that, mm-hmm. um, guys. It's been a blast. It's been great. Uh, of course, as we have talked about during this podcast, COVID nineteen it's affecting everyone. Whether it affects your job, whether it affects your health. And of course, uh, it's really important, uh, just as John said, that you guys stay safe. Uh, you, know, you can't depend on what the government's saying. You can't depend on what your neighbor is saying. Uh, it does take some faith. Um, it takes some, uh, you know, processing and some planning. But also, I mean, it just takes guys really caring about one another and doing whatever it takes to help us get through this. Uh, once again, I am your host, Robbins Exume. Uh, you have just been through the six sides of life. Uh, and, of course, we want to hear what you have to say. This conversation is started by us, but we want to continue with you. We want to hear what you have to say. So reach out to us at sixsidesoflife at gmail.com. Uh, social media is coming real soon. Again, that is six sides of life. So S-I-X-S-I-D-E-S-O-F-L-I-F-E. For those of you guys who cannot spell um, six sides of life at gmail.com. Once again, thank you guys for listening. Uh, God bless. Stay safe. Good night.